Hey, what's up? It's Alex Morgan. And for me, the start of the new year is all about committing to you from day one. Body Armor's got you and here to help you commit to your fitness goals. Buy any Body Armor products at your local store and Body Armor will give you 50% cash back to put towards your fitness journey. Now through March 31st, commit to fit with Body Armor Sports Drink. Visit www.bacommittofit.com for full rules. And shop now at retailers nationwide. Hello, everyone. It's time to eat, drink, and be merry with your hosts, Lisa and Nancy. Hey, everybody, welcome to Big Blend Radio's Eat, Drink, and Be Merry show with Nancy and Lisa, the publishers of Big Blend Magazines, which is a group of digital publications, including Eat, Drink, and Be Merry magazine. And every first Saturday, we welcome back travel writer Linda Kassam. You know, she's been on the show for years, and her nickname is Food, Wine, and Shopping Diva because she is all about good taste. (laughs) And uh, every first Saturday when she's on the show, She usually brings some guests on to introduce us to some fine wines. Uh, Maybe it's chocolate. You never know, but she always knows what what you need to taste or experience when it comes to a destination. So today we're going to be talking about Iris Vineyard Wines, and they're based out of Willamette, southern Willamette uh, area of Oregon. And of course, then you know they're making Pinot Noir, and it is fabulous, by the way. Mm -hmm. Uh, They also have a brand new tasting, well, it's a wine bar, not a tasting room, I'm going to get my hand slapped here, but it's a wine bar based out of Springfield, which is just outside Eugene, Oregon, in southern Oregon, and that kind of connects to the history of the owners of Iris Vineyard. So I'm very excited to have Aaron Lieberman on the show, who is the winemaker, and also Carl Giovanti is a wine media specialist, but I encourage you to go to the website irisvineyards.com because Believe me, you're going to want to try the wine. So first thing, Diva Linda, welcome back. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you. I'm sitting in a marina in uh, Seattle, uh, Washington, and you can see the big sailboat behind me. So that's mm-hmm. our dock mate. So awesome. it's all good. Wow. And, yeah. Wow. Beautiful. Fun. Here. Beautiful. Yeah, fun. yeah. Well, we it's live it. here half a year. So this is we're living my husband's dream. Trust me, this is not my dream. My husband loves it, and uh, okay. So I'm I'm trying to be a good I'm trying to be a good partner, and there we are. But you do bring wine on the boat, so that's important. Yeah. So that's so right. what I do, yeah. So what I do generally uh, each year is uh, pick a, a, a winery or wineries to, and uh, I spend a lot of time uh, tasting wines and reviewing wines while on the boat. I, I have to say. Iris Vineyards is a is a real showboat. Uh, you know, I don't bring every winery that I uh, uh, that I, of wines I've tasted. I I don't generally bring everybody on the show, but this one is exceptional, especially because I thought they did such a wonderful job with their Pinot Gris and their Pinot Noir. Mm. Both are uh, kind of interesting wines. I'm sure uh, Aaron can tell us this. They have to make, but often a Pinot Gris is a flabby wine with a cruddy kind of color and it tastes like water. So it's, uh, <laughs> but if you get it right, which which Aaron did, it is a great 
wine. It goes so well with so many types of food and uh, including pad thai and so forth, which I'm a, I love uh, Asian cuisine. And their Pinot Noir was exceptional too. That's another one. You either get a good bottle of Pinot or a bad bottle of Pinot. So I thought, boy, they're sending me two bottles of wine that could go either way. And both were absolutely excellent. Just really wonderful. And uh, thank you, Linda. And then we had, yeah, no, really, really good ones. And uh, and then the other one that we I tasted was the um, Champagne Brute with sparkling, mm. I think we have today, sparkling brute. And uh, oh my gosh, that was a winner as well. So uh, all these wines can be tasted by both novice drinkers and aficionados, meaning that they're, they, aren't, uh, they, they aren't on the spectrum of wine tasting. They're sort of... Uh, the, the taste is good for either one. You won't be blown out. You won't be blown out by uh, twigs and wood, as my sister says in the reds, and and, you won't, and the white wines are not flabby. So twigs and woods. Good job. And I'm I'm proud to have you here, and, and we'll hear a lot more about this from you guys in a bit. Yeah, it it was exciting to have the wines here. We're right now in mm -hmm. Maryland. Um, and uh, the wines were waiting when we arrived here. And as everyone knows, we travel full time. And of course, we had to have a tasting party. And we all sat around. We started with the Pinot Gris. Mm -hmm. And all three of us, uh, was yeah, four of us and the dogs. Mm -hmm. No, they didn't get to have wine. They're not allowed, no. but they wanted to. Uh, mm -hmm. We all just sat there going, wow, this is amazing. And then it was gone. And then we almost like really cried. And then we said, okay, we can have the Pinot Noir, at, at, you know, with dinner time, which was spicy pizza. So that mm -hmm. actually kind of paired up nicely. Um, believe it or not, it was, it was good. Mm -hmm. And of course, then we like shed a tear when the Pinot was gone because it was really good. And mm -hmm. like all of us just were like, well, this is just really, really good wine. And then um, before our friends flew off to Scotland, we opened the bubbly because we had to toast mm -hmm. new friendship. We had to toast that they're going to Scotland and they haven't been home for five years to see their family mm -hmm. and friends. So it was a toasting occasion. Mm -hmm. We also, and they almost missed their Uber over this. I'm just saying. So yes. we went around the room <laughs> saying, okay, what are, what are you, what do you, um, you know, think if you put everything into like one word, first word out was bliss. Yes. And bliss. then we talked a little bliss, bit more. I thought really that bliss, nice. And I just, yes. all of us couldn't like, wow, yeah. Yeah. And then we talked yeah. a little bit more about the structures of the wines and how, it, you know, all that geeky stuff. And we just went, it's bliss, but at the same time, mm -hmm. balanced. Like, yes. especially when you think about the Pinot Gris and how it just was this delightful, balanced bliss. bliss. <laughs> <laughs> so well done, Aaron. <laughs> how did Thank you bring balanced bliss? You put some bliss in the wine, Aaron. What happened there? Yeah, yeah really. well, that's I don't have that on the shelf. It's uh, mm -hmm. it, it kind of uh, comes together on, on its own. Uh, I think, in reference to to Linda's comment uh, about how it's done, I think it's so important for consumers to understand uh, geography and ABA and uh, what she was talking about with the Pinot Gris that could possibly come across as flabby or tasteless uh, really has mostly to do with where the fruit's grown. And the, re mm -hmm. the reason that ours is so bright and full of flavor is because of the cool vineyard site that we have in the, in the Lorraine Valley, which is a um, part of Willamette Valley. Mm. 
super important. That's the first number one thing in in wine quality. Uh, it, in my mind, is the uh, place where the fruit's grown. Okay, so the place now, I know sense. that you went from soil science to winemaking. Doesn't that also really play a big part as what's going on in the soil? Absolutely. Uh, soil is, is a part of place. So uh, the French talk about terroir and mm -hmm. the combination of microclimate and soil and um, varietal rootstock and, and clone of the grape that's planted. So you really, you have to match your varietal to your microclimate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, a, that's really mm -hmm. important. Having been a mm -hmm. uh, director of a wine region in California uh, a couple years back, I, we spent an awful lot of time in our educational classes, me just arranging it and then sitting in as the directors, but um, the, the winemakers and the growers and so forth really spent a lot of time trying to find the right clone and the right varietal mm -hmm. at, for the place that right, you're right. at. Um, even, even though you might think that uh, Pinot Gris would be a great seller and you like it personally and so forth. You know what, if it's too hot or it's, it's too cold even, it just, it doesn't work. You have to, you have to go and uh, figure out what works for where you're at. That's a, that's a really, mm -hmm. really strong point mm -hmm. and a concern for uh, winemakers I know. Good point. Yep. Yep. Tell, tell us a little bit about the start of Iris uh, Vineyards and, and the wines, how this all started, because, you know, reading the history of the family, it's, they, they're all in, it's, it's, they understand tourism as well as wine. So it, I think, is that play part of it, Erin, in that creating wines, it has to be like a welcoming thing for people coming to a region and understanding a region it's kind of like you like you were saying that the sense of place right so you're putting sense of place in a bottle but for people traveling and then now that you have the wine bar which is great too that people can go in and not only taste the wine but also apparently these crafted wine cocktails wine-based cocktails um, that's really exciting but it seems that they've always had this vision of really encompassing the region yeah, so the owners, uh, Richard Boyles and Pamela Fry, are from Eugene. They both went to the University of Oregon, uh, which I believe is where they met. And um, after university, they spent some time in Europe. Uh, Richard had a job there that took him to Europe. And um, when they returned from that time, they came right back to Eugene and um, they really, while in Europe, got very excited about the idea of growing wine grapes and eventually making wine. So they, they bought this property that the vineyard is on now in 1994. They began planting in 1996. Um, and those vines are, are still in the vineyard. Actually, the, the vast majority of the vineyard is that 1996 planting. The... Um, yeah, and so, so the site we're in, it's a very high elevation for Willamette Valley, so we're, we're between uh, about 850 and 1100 feet. So your typical vineyard in Willamette Valley is more like 300 to 800 feet. Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel any time.
Can I be real for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better, you really can do it, but nobody is going to do it for you. And nobody has to, because you can do it, if you have the right tools, and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. Let us help you succeed. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great. Uh, uh, so we're, we're quite a, a cool site, and that really, as I was saying earlier, contributes to that... Uh, really bright, fresh Pinot Gris that we get from there. Mm. And I know that you're available in a lot of states across the country, at least about half of them, right? And um, that's right. Of course, Oregon, and you can order online and also in some restaurants and wine bars and and wine shops. Um, But I think that's the thing about going back to the sense of place is that if you're sitting in, you know, where we are in Maryland, right? And, um, or you're sitting in Arizona and you you automatically think Willamette and Pinot Noir, right? You, that's the first thing people think of. So you're ordering, wanting that sense of place. It's like you wanna taste the place. So it's kind of an interesting thing thinking about it going across um, the area and um, or across the country. There's that expectation. What's it like to, to do something outside of Pinot Noir? That's what I always think when people get stuck on one thing in an area, and then here it is, we've got Pinot Gris, because you wonder, okay, how's that going to be if they're so, you know, good at Pinot Noir, what's going to happen? And it was amazing. And the brood was amazing. Um, so it's, is that a bit of a, um, a knowledge, like a, an educational thing? You know, Linda was talking about education before, but is it an educational for the winery and especially having the wine bar to kind of explain the different kind of grapes and wines that are made in, in that region. And you know what is really, uh, excuse me, you know what I think is really nice as well. Let me just interject. If you're sort of wondering, are these going to be pricey wines? They are not. They are, they are what we call the sweet spot and I'll let Carl to give us the prices of wine if you'd like or approximate prices, depending on where you, you where you buy it and where you are and stuff. But uh, especially these three wines that we're talking about today uh, are affordable and you ought to really look into buying a couple and taking it home and enjoying it. Carl, what are, what are the prices? Oh well, yeah, this is, a, <clears throat> this is a good point and it speaks to uh, what Lisa was discussing. <clears throat> excuse me, the availability of the wines uh, in the United States. There's about 25 different uh, states where uh, Irish Vineyards is distributed. And the wines that uh, you folks have tasted are, we call the core wines or the market wines that are widely available. The Pinot Gris is only priced at about 17. Um, finding any Willamette Valley wines under 20 is kind of a hard hard get, but uh, this this is an exceptional wine. Um, I won't get into all the awards because I don't want to toot uh, Aaron's horn too much. He already has a very big head. No, just kidding, Aaron. Um, you just make me blush. That's right. I don't want you to blush over there. That's right. We don't want that. Uh, the Pinot Noir, uh, I mean, I have other clients that their Pinots range from $50 to $90. The, the Pinot Noir you tasted is around $24, $25 price point. So they're making the wines very affordable. They're building a big audience. That's the reason we're on the show. And, uh, and there's a good chance if uh, in half those states, you can probably find uh, Irish mm. vineyard wines. In, that, in that's what I was saying, because I think as soon as you think of Willamette, you have this 
perception of this is exactly how it's going to taste and be and then you want people to kind of explore the other options but also yeah you're definitely affordable so that's kind of you know gets people to try something that maybe they haven't tried before and, and understand how much more the Willamette Valley actually does produce so yeah yeah and I would just say uh, Lisa mentioned our website earlier irisvineyards.com and we do have a list of distributors on our website. So you can find oh, okay. out if wine is distributed in your state or not. Oh, cool, mm. cool. That's good. So so people can get more than the Pinot Noir. They can they can get the, because we want the bubblies everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> not, not every distributor carries our, our bubblies, but almost all of them carry the Pinot Noir and Pinot Gris. Okay, good, okay. good. Now this is, this is amazing. So. Were people able to go to the vineyard before? How did they get your wine in Oregon? Or is the wine bar like an addition? We are, we have a distributor in Oregon. And we, before COVID happened, we had a tasting room open at the vineyard. Okay, so now you have the wine bar in a very accessible area because you're right off the interstate, right? So that's, that's right. kind of- Yeah, very close. Mm -hmm. And then, okay, so you there's, there's the experience there and you can get it online, which is great. Okay. But one thing also, when I think about the value is how sustainable you are. Mm -hmm. In the Can you talk a little, yeah, in the vineyard, in the winemaking, can you talk a little bit about that? Because as soon as you start hearing sustainability, you think the price is going to go up tenfold. Yeah. So there's um, a number of different classifications for vineyard sustainability and certifications that you can get for the vineyard. Uh, we are not certified, so say biodynamic, organic. Uh, in Oregon and Washington, we have live and salmon safe certifications, which are kind of quasi-organic certifications. We have our vineyard manager, I should say, has chosen not to get certified uh, because he likes to continue to have some things in his toolbox that would be ruled out by some of those certifications. Uh, nonetheless, in nine out of 10 years, we never use any agricultural chemicals or practices that would preclude us from having, say, salmon safe certification. Um, so in terms of sustainability, I think that our vineyard manager for the property and the, the dedication of ownership to having and maintaining sustainable practices is uh, without question. Mm. Well, it would be worth mentioning the reforestation project. On the, this is an 800 acre estate, um, about 50 acres are planted roughly and um, the owners made a big commitment, Aaron. Do you want to talk talk about the oak uh, reforestation uh, sure. program? I think that's pretty important. Yeah, yeah a, a, a significant part of the 850 acres had been logged when they purchased the property, oh. right before they purchased it. Um, so part of, or a big part of what they're doing there, in addition to the vineyard property is uh, restoration of the forest. So there's uh, sections of the property that are conifer forest, uh, primarily Douglas fir, mm -hmm. 
and other sections of the property that are uh, what we call oak savanna. And, and that's a, a used to be the dominant ecosystem in the Willamette Valley is this oak savanna. And it's a special kind of oak. I know most of your listeners are probably familiar with American oak, which yeah. um, Quercus alba. And in, in Oregon, we have a different oak that's, um, it's more dense and it's, it's more aromatic than Quercus alba. It's called Quercus gariana or Oregon white oak. Uh, so that's the tree that they're trying to encourage to come back on the property and, and grow uh, like it did before mm. settlement. Does, does that affect the wine? Because, you know, we've done so many interviews on, like we were talking about sense of place, the taste of place. Mm-hmm. And from what we've talked about wine, even in tea lately, is if you keep the land as natural as possible, that you can taste it in the food or in the in whatever you're creating. Do you think that attributes to the wine being so good and, and really giving that taste of place by, you know, looking at nature and being surrounded? I mean, of course, not as many pesticides or anything like that, but actually having right. that natural surrounding kind of does that ha- happen? I think that's entirely possible. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, the ecosystem anywhere is so intertwined. Uh, you know, you, you can't separate your vineyard from the land that surrounds mm-hmm. it in, in any demonstrable way. I, you know, I, I once tasted a wine at a, a show and um, it was a California wine and the wine had this taste in the background of eucalyptus um, oh wow mm. I, yeah uh, Whoa. The, Guess what? The, wine, <laughs> the winemaker was standing at the table and i and i said so uh, the vineyard these grapes come from is it just to the east of a uh, eucalyptus um <laughs> because that's pretty wow. common in that part of california is these yeah eucalyptus huh. wind breaks and so the sap <laughs> from the eucalyptus trees was blowing onto the grapes and uh, it oh. in the wine, it was uh, really interesting and kind of uh, funny. <laughs> it's a yeah, I bet. Wow. That's huh. really cool. That's cool to, because I think that is the sense of place, taste of place is so important when you're purchasing wine uh, that you do have that. And so obviously it, it, all, it all goes with it. And as, as you know, I was going to say as, as drinkers, that sounds really bad. As, as wine enthusiasts, we want to know that, you know, what, that we're not destroying things to enjoy the wine. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It it's, should be an it, uplifting experience. And I think that's something that, you know, reading through everything about Iris Vineyards, it just seems that you guys are on the path to protecting the wines or the, the land for the, making wine and also looking at what we get as, you know, the enthusiast who's tasting and going, ooh, yay, I can do this, I can enjoy it. Um, do you have like a wine club or anything like that that people can be part of on a monthly basis? Yes, we do. It's called Trellis Club and uh, that can be looked at on our website as well. You can join the club uh, online if you like. Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel anytime. Can I be real for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better? 
you really can do it, but nobody is going to do it for you. And nobody has to, because you can do it, if you have the right tools, and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. Let us help you succeed. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great. Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel any time. Can I be real for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better? You really can do it, but nobody is going to do it for you. And nobody has to, because you can do it, if you have the right tools, and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. Let us help you succeed. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great. Oh. So what about for out-of-state uh, members, Aaron? Is there a program? There is. Uh, we ship once a quarter, and oh. we'll ship anywhere in the country that where that it's allowed, uh, of course. So um, that would definitely be something you'd want to look at when joining the club, whether your state allows uh, shipment of wine from out of state. Mm. Now, the other thing, too, um, I've got to go get that fancy word that I, I love this. Um, Kind of like a mission and philosophy of and you also have wines that are named after this let me go is it erite am i Ooh, saying very this good name? wow right. yeah you thank you for it. putting it in the media kit yeah yeah the, le the, the the legend goes that the owner uh, one of the owners uh, richard boyles who went to university of eugene and aaron help me out here if i if i uh conflate any of my background information. He was a big fan of Greek uh, mythology. And of course, he ended up reading the Iliad. Um, mm. And there's a concept about, you know, being the best person you can be, fulfilling your, you know, your, your, your full capacity, your capability. And it's called Arete. And it became, mm. a, I guess, a bit of a beyond a mission statement. It really became um, you know, sort of a mantra, if you will, for, for the winery and winery practices. And, uh, you know, Aaron, Aaron, Aaron should jump in here and let me know if I got that right, first of all, but. Oh, absolutely correct. But yep. certainly mm -hmm. how, how you fulfill that in, you know, your production and with your staff and so forth. Yeah. Uh, so the, the short story on that is it's always looking forward to how one can improve oneself and improve what one does in their life. Um, and, and so we apply that to our production of grapes and wine at, at Iris Vineyards. And you'll see um, on our labels, we have an image of an eyeball and that is also part of Arete. So the eye signals constantly looking forward to what one can do to get better. Nice, I like that. That was really, with the, mm -hmm. it was so funny because the, the ladies we were tasting with, our friends, they were, mm. one is like, have you looked at the label? This is exactly how I look at wine. Do you purchase wine by this? I'm like, yeah. It's, it, she's like, but look, look how the gray is. And she got into the whole label. And then mm -hmm. I walked up to her. I said, but did you see the eye? Yeah. She goes, it's Horace. Right. <laughs> now, Lisa, I thought you were going to say, well, what about the iris? Is that related to the eye? Iris. <laughs> I know, eye. I was thinking well, that, but she went that. to the Horus. She went right. to Horus. So that, that's is. what she went to. Is it? <laughs> okay. It, it is, is and it, it isn't, it, it's right, a, Ern? 
It is. It's a it's a bit of a double entendre. So originally, okay. originally the the name Iris came from the property because uh, I mentioned how it had been logged prior to the owners purchasing it. One of the things that that we see in the Willamette Valley, in particular after a logging event, is that these these wild irises are called the Douglas iris. Oh. It, they're associated with Douglas fir trees. And so after the property is cut, then these you get this huge bloom over the next two, three, four years of these Douglas irises. And so when the owners initially looked at the property to buy it, uh, the hill, the, the one that's actually behind you on your background, was covered in these, these beautiful purple Douglas. Wow. Well, wow. you see, that's how nature steps in to try to restore balance. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, right. so that's a really cool thing. I like mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Wow. And I love the iris. Mm -hmm. We've seen wild iris out in Oregon. Yes. It's beautiful. Yeah. I know. Yeah, really so, so this is the perfect so thing for a champagne brunch is have iris, yeah. cut iris. You've got your bubbly. You've yeah. got your yeast pancakes. And we have the recipe for the yeast pancakes for everyone on <laughs> Blend Radio and TV.com. And everyone, Linda's article is there with her tasting notes, which includes corn dogs. <laughs> you want, I, never, I really have oh, never thought never... I would live to see the diva talk about her dogs <laughs> with wine. If they're you, good corn dogs, if, though. If, well, if, I, I'm yeah, sure they yeah, are. Corn dogs and champagne. <laughs> oh, oh, they really are. I mean, I know it's it's a stretch, but uh, really? if you're ever going, to, <laughs> if you're ever going to to somebody's house and you're going to serve champagne and you want to bring a dish, try corn dogs. They're all going to oh. look at you like you're nuts. But mm -hmm. uh, every time I bring it to uh, my it wine tastings uh, for my yeah for my council, my wine council, uh, it's the first thing to go. Everybody loves it. It's just uh, well, it, you know, Aaron, it's nice. really not that much of a stretch. Uh, mm -hmm. in, in Linda, and when you think of the saltiness. Mm -hmm. of the dog and you right. think of corn corn chips Wheat. uh go really well for some reason uh popcorn goes mm. really well with with sparkling wine it just it does it's a classic well this I, brings me to oh, go ahead go ahead okay. I, I always say when people ask me about food pairings um mm. when in doubt serve sparkling wine yeah yeah, yeah. it goes with almost anything sure mm -hmm. With the wine the bar, sure. yeah, and I think it also is as long as it's not. Uh, uh, I don't want no. Let me let me rephrase this. Um, it can be for everybody's taste. So if you have somebody that doesn't drink a lot of wine, or says I don't like wine, or whatever, and those that drink wine all the time, I think champagne meets in the middle, and it's it's just uh, you know especially. If you've been a soda drinker your whole life and you like the effervescence uh, part of it, uh, but uh, your your uh, particular uh, brute champagne had a sit nice citrus uh, uh, taste to it, great aromas, really a beautiful beautiful wine. Mm -hmm. And uh, and how much is Thank that, uh, Carl? That was thirty, I think, in the thirty. No, it was a little. That's a little more. Twenty nine ninety nine is twenty nine ninety nine is our SRP. Oh. For the Irish brew, yeah, that's yeah. right. That's, yeah, yeah. that's not and bad that's, at all. That's the deal. Oh, I that's want that for our champagne Sunday show. It, it just was mm -hmm. so. It was like you know that's when we talked. Bliss came out. You mm -hmm. know, it was like it's so bubbly, <laughs> but it's not overdone. It's like 
the perfect size bubble. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, that's what I'm always fascinated about the bubble size, you know, just like they're different. <laughs> well, no, Prosecco and, and Cava, like they seem to be bigger bubbles that's to me, and almost oily. Mm -hmm. And then when it gets yeah. to, you know, the, the champagnes and, and the brutes, like it, to me, this was, I felt like I was drinking, well, you do the actual method, the champenois. am I saying that right? That's I, right. It, oh yes, my god i need some more wine no. <laughs> do i get another bottle for that no but i think it's because of the traditional method that you're doing that your bubbles are spot on i've never thought it's that, that sounds so funny. Nice, nice bubbles erin thank mm -hmm. you yeah great yeah it's, that's correct there, there there are a number of of considerations that go into uh getting the those fine bubbles um, I can go into those details if you like, but the, the most important part of that overarching part of that is the fact that it's traditional method or method. Mm. And, there you go. I'll, okay. Thank you for saying that. I would add, for me. Let me add from a layman's uh, a standpoint, I just took my uh, second level <clears throat> W set <clears throat> exam. So now I know a thing or two, but which makes you dangerous <clears throat> with the traditional method the carbon dioxide is actually dissolved in the bottle. And so you have these very sort of fine bubbles that we love. In a tank method, which is under pressure, you get very big bubbles. It doesn't dissolve in the same fashion or it doesn't dissolve as, it's not as integrated perhaps. Uh, into mm. the, so, so there's two different methods. Uh, Prosecco would be the tank method with the big bubbles, method Champenois, which is what Aaron does. And we should maybe talk a little about that um, because uh, champagne or sparkling wine, I should say, in Willamette Valley has become a very uh, large category. Um, mm -hmm. I now I'm guessing at least 200 producers are making some type of sparkling wine. We weren't known for that. We were known for Pinot Noir, Pinot Gris, Chardonnay, and now sparkling wine is, a, is really coming on strong. And most of the producers have access to co-op facilities where they make their sparkling wine with other producers, which is very uh, convenient. It's very affordable, cost-effective. Um, Iris Vineyards and Aaron have chosen to do it in-house, which is very unusual for their small production. And um, if, if it's okay, uh, Lisa and Nancy, um, maybe Aaron can just share a little bit a bit about why they've chosen to do it in-house and you know what the benefit is because it's a very complex process. And, yeah, I was going to say, don't you, it's like intense work too. It's like you have to it is. Turn, <laughs> turning the bottles and doing all that. Yeah, right. yeah it is. Um, so uh, just to flesh out a little bit what Carl said, the number one sparkling producer in Oregon is Argyle and they make about 40,000 cases a year of sparkling. And the number one uh, custom producer is Radiant Sparkling Company, or Radiant Wine Company, I believe actually it's called. And they have about 45 clients, and they also produce about 40,000 cases a year, uh, to all told, between those 45 clients. Um, we uh, do it all in-house. We're, we're just under 1,000 cases a year right now. We'd like to make that quite a bit bigger over, over the next few years. So please drink our sparkling wine. That will help. <laughs> um, okay. So okay. traditional, <laughs> traditional, <laughs> traditional. <Everybody> method, <laughs> and, and get your corn dogs. So, get your uh, corn dogs. <laughs> so what traditional method means is 
you make what we call the base wine, making any other white wine. Uh, we happen to ferment our base wine in neutral barrels. Uh, so that helps hmm. in terms of mouthfeel and um, pickup of protein, dissolved protein in the wine, which helps stabilization of the bubbles and the mousse in the wine. And then once that base wine is done fermenting, we age it for a little bit uh, on the leaves. And so the leaves are basically yeast bodies that after they're done fermenting, they settle to the bottom of the barrel and, and they uh, begin to release their cell contents into the wine. So this is, uh, there's a lot of protein in those yeasts. Yeah. And uh, so that really helps with the bubbles and contributes to the, the fullness uh, of the wine on the palate. Um, second ferment in bottle. So we, we get this base wine ready to bottle. We, um, we add some sugar, uh, which is food for the yeast. And, and then we add the yeast and then we immediately bottle that wine while it's fermenting. And then it finishes the ferment in the, the bottles. And we have, again, more yeast in, in that bottle to help contribute the protein and all that from the, the decomposing yeast into the wine. Um, and the longer you leave it in the bottle before what we call scourging, where you remove the yeast, uh, the more dissolving of the proteins you get into the wine and the finer the bubbles are. So we, we target about 15 months. Uh, we call it entourage. So 15 months in bottle before we disgorge. So wow. that, that's the, the, the process. The tank, so the tank Ooh. method, it's much quicker. They don't leave it in the tank that long. So there, there's less opportunity for the, the yeast to, to release their cell contents into the wine. I love this. It's fascinating to me about the mm -hmm. bubbles. I know people think I'm nuts. Like I always talk about, it's about the bubbles on this, but there is something, you know, I, I was just out um, filming in a, in a wildlife refuge and they've got all these white wildflowers, like, and I thought, oh, it's yarrow. Well, no, it was Queen Anne's lace. And you don't always see Queen Anne's lace. They look very similar, mm -hmm. the flowers, but the Queen Anne's lace, the big difference is how fine it is. And that's kind of what I was thinking about when I was drinking the champagne of like, mm -hmm. because the bubbles are, it's like a finer bubble. It's smaller on your tongue, on your mouthfeel, because it's a refined, there's nothing, you can't get it as more refined when you get too bubbly than champagne, right? Whereas, I have you know, a question. Yeah, it's still beautiful, but it's bigger bubbles, like the bigger petals of the flower to me, which is neat. So, Good yeah, analogy. I have a question. Um, mm -hmm. How did you always do uh, sparkling wine or did you do your uh, still wines and then you brought in sparkling at a later point? So, uh, yeah, brief little bit of history there. Um, the Irish Vineyard started bottling wine under its own label in 2001. And um, from, from 01 to 07 vintages, the wines were made um, at Custom Crush facilities, so other wineries. And then um, the owners purchased the winery facility and remodeled it in 2007 and 2008, tired in July of 2008. 
and uh, have been here since. So I did the 2008 vintage. Um, then, and that was all still wine. So in 2015, I was able to um, convince ownership to allow me to start a sparkling program. So we mm. started with a Brut Rosé in 2015 and 2016, we did a Blanc de Noir, 17 was Blanc de Blanc, and then 18, we started making all three. So I think, so my comment here is when you drink champagne, you should understand that it's a very expensive and long process. It's a very long process for some of the wineries that it, it you know, it, there's holding costs actually, you know, there really is. And uh, you have to be patient. And if, if something goes wrong and you, you lose a whole vintage and so forth and so on. So, um, you know, appreciate when you're, when you're drinking the, uh, the method Champenois uh, method, just really appreciate it and understand that somebody has taken the time and effort, the equipment, and then, you know, after you bottle it, you have to, you know, do all this other stuff and it just goes on and on and on. And when it finally comes to uh, time for retail, it's a work of art. You're drinking a work of art. This particular it's one true. that I drank. Yeah, was that's really, well said, Linda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so... You know, think think just a little bit more about the wine you're drinking. Think a little bit more about the champagnes you're drinking. Uh, it holds a little bit longer. Needs a lot more. I would you say, Aaron, that it needs a lot more help along the way. There's a lot more processes to it than still wine. It does. It does need a lot of help. And and just to, so your listeners know, um, depending on exactly how we do the sparkling wine, we touch each bottle of wine between 20 and 45 times oh, wow. before That's it goes awesome. into the, the case and out uh, distribution. Wow. Right. With, and, with, that with the, why, and that is why not every winery wants to make champagne or sparkling wines. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to look at the bottom line and say, you know, I'm going to have to hire this many people and they're going to have to work this many hours when I could just do a still mm -hmm. wine and that, that equates to a little bit better bottom line. So bravo to you guys. You actually did yeah. a good job. So, you know, thank you. And I, and I have a question. I have a question for Aaron. Aaron, do you still hand turn every bottle four times a day for 15 months? Do you, do you still do that for a thousand cases? So, so, so that's, that's the difference between the 20 and 45 times. So we have certain small lots. So we do uh, what, what I call an extended tirage where the, the wine ferments in the bottle and then it stays uh, in the uh, bin untouched for uh, 26 months instead of 15, uh, or, or at least 26 months, I should say. Uh, we don't, while it is aging, need to touch the bottles at all. They just, they sit in our cellar and, and age and we, you know, the yeast are allowed to do their thing in there. Uh, but Carl is referring to is called riddling, where you get the yeast to come mm -hmm. off the side of the bottle. The bottles are stored on their side. So the yeast sits on the side of the bottle. And so we need to get that yeast from the side of the bottle down into the neck so we can remove it. And that's called riddling. And it can be done by hand or it can be done using a machine. Mm -hmm. We do have a machine, which is great. A good thing. It saves, it saves us uh, 20 to 25 touches of the bottle. Um, so thus saving a lot of labor. And um, so those, I'll go back to the extended tirage. 
those are tiny lots and we do hand riddle those. Mm. So there's your 45 touches. Wow. wow. This is this is what mm. I was, you know, earlier talking about where when people think about Oregon wines, Willamette wines, it's immediately Pinot Noir. And that's what I think it was so great about tasting your wines because it was opening the door to there's so much more in Willamette. Of course, the flagship is Pinot Noir and it's amazing, Pinot Noir. But I think it's so special to see so much diversity in what you're doing. And I think that having a wine bar so close to Crater Lake and, um, you know, just uh, Eugene and just off of the interstate, it's, it's so easy to access in a beautiful region. It's going to open people's minds to how much you, you can do with wine in Oregon as a whole. And I was just wondering, is that with the wine bar, are you going to be doing a little bit more of the education, some tasting parties? And then I know you're doing craft, you know, wine cocktails, which is something unique. So it's kind of a hangout place because it's a bar, but um, a good way to introduce people to all the different varieties that people can experience in Oregon. Yeah, absolutely. We, we make wines that are um, using grapes from Southern Oregon. So Rogue Valley, which is a much warmer area than Willamette. So we're, we're not um, currently making Pinot Noir from Rogue, but we do make things like uh, Malbec. We have a Bordeaux style blend. We have Viognier, um, Syrah. We do a Grenache Syrah Moved blend. So these are all great varietals that require a warmer climate than mm -hmm. Willamette. That's wonderful. Well, thank you guys for joining us. Yeah. Uh, everybody, Linda's article again is up on blendradioandtv.com. Also go to irisvineyards.com and also follow Diva Linda at allingoodtaste.info. So thank you all for joining us. Yeah, thank thanks, you. guys. Thank you, yes. <laughs> Nancy, Linda, much appreciated. Nice to meet you all. You too. Cheers. Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel any time. Can I be real for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better, you really can do it. But nobody is going to do it for you. And nobody has to because you can do it if you have the right tools and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. Let us help you succeed. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great.